When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bij Burger King gebeuren spannende dingen. Wat dacht je van een classic cheeseburger, chicken nuggets burger of sundae voor maar 1 euro per stuk? En dat is nog niet alles. Alle King deals zijn maar 1 euro. Haal ze nu alleen bij Burger King. Good afternoon and welcome to the Royal Blue podcast. It's a special one due to the fact that we had no game at the weekend. And we're coming off the end of what feels like an international break. And I suppose in the sense that the Blues have been jetting off to the Middle East. It was in a sense... We've got a special guest this afternoon. We're joined by the Esk from Twitter. I'm sure lots of people who follow Everton news and opinion will have come across uh, will come across the Esk in recent months. Um, he's going to join us and talk about the Blues off the pitch. We're going to talk about the stadium, the ownership, Fard Mashiri, and the future. So, uh, Paul, thank you very much for being part of the podcast this afternoon. Uh, thanks very much. Um, very, very, very pleased to be with you, and uh, looking forward to the conversation. So smashing. So yeah, um, you were on a podcast recently, uh, which got quite a lot of attention on the Football Grad podcast, Football Grad Live, and you're yeah. giving your take really on. I think it's one of the hot issues that fans have been talking about since Farhad Mashiri came in almost a year ago, and it's not just Farhad, but it is uh, it is his friend on the other side of London, really the uh, the Arsenal shareholder Usmanov, Alicia Usmanov, and his influence uh, really in terms of their friendship, how they came to know one another and what that might mean for the Blues. So just recap quickly what you were talking about with them when it comes to Osmanov. Sure. Uh, I mean, it's a really interesting subject and as you say, a lot of Blues, um, you know, are wondering what uh, relationship Osmanov will have with Everton in the future or if indeed um, he'll have one. Uh, my thoughts as has always been that he can't have a relationship really with Everton. Yeah. Certainly, uh, uh, shareholding in Everton whilst he remains um, a 30% shareholder of Arsenal and um, that's very clear that he can't do that but what appears to be happening now is that the uh, relationship, the financial relationship will um, go down the sponsorship route in terms of the companies that are co-owned by Usmanov uh, and Mashiri and if indeed you know, it goes beyond the, the, the uh, the one that's already already been announced yeah. in terms of the Finch Farm, but um, it, the conversation I had in the previous podcast was all, all relating to how Usmanov um, can uh, be part of Epson, and they were looking in particular at how other uh, oligarchs had, had done it across Europe. My own view is that Usmanov will, will not, as I say, will not be a shareholder. Um, he may be a sponsor to his companies, um, but you know, he. Whether he wants to sell his Arsenal shares or not, um, I think he's pretty much tied into uh, the position that he's in. My personal view is that he doesn't want to sell it. He's quite, not necessarily quite happy, but he's prepared to uh, remain a, a minority shareholder with no, uh, no influence at all at Arsenal. Um, I don't think he's looking to sell. If, if he, my, my argument went that if he was looking to sell um, and join Machiri, he would yeah. have sold uh, his holding Mashiri last year, and he would have joined, uh, he would have become an Everton shareholder at the time when Mashiri did, Mashiri would have retained um, the Arsenal shares, that, that would have been the logical sequence of events, at least in, in terms of my thinking, um, if he intended to become a shareholder of Everton. I, I, I know a lot of people don't necessarily agree with that view, but um, that's the view that I hold. Do you think that what he is doing, perhaps, or what he does want to do, is to have more influence on a club than he's currently got at Arsenal because of his relationship with Stan Kroenker and the rest of the board. So through a close friend and in many ways still an employee, uh, Fahad Mashiri, he might be able to do that without breaking any rules. Uh, possibly. Um, I, think, I think it's a really difficult area for him to do such a thing if that's what he wants to do. I'm sure you know, clearly he, he, he will be aware of that. Um, the Premier League uh, regulations talk not only about ownership, but they talk about influence, that you cannot uh, influence the management of more than one football club. Right. Clearly, you can, you can only be the owner or 
um, more than 10% shareholder in one football club. But the Premier League rules also talk about um, being able to influence or not being able to influence more than one uh, management team uh, of any Premier League club. So given the scrutiny that this, um, you know, any relationship in the future would be under, I think he would find it very difficult. Now, obviously informally, I'm sure you know, they, they spend a lot of time together. They're very good friends. They're obviously business partners in many, many businesses. So only naturally they're going to discuss what they're, what they're doing either at Everton or what he's not doing at Arsenal. So I'm sure there's going to be informal conversations. And as a, as a sponsor, of course, he's going to be interested in terms of uh, yeah. in what Everton are doing, what they're planning to do in the future and stuff. But formally, um, I just can't see how he can do that. Yeah, it's interesting though because you look at what Everton's um, major projects are, and clearly that the biggest one is the stadium. And then you look, um, so you look at the fact that USM is already involved in sponsoring Finch Farm. But if you look into um, Alicia Usmanov's other vast portfolio of business interests, one of the main ones is steel. So I mean, yeah, it's easy to, to to join the dots and kind of make assumptions based on his interests, but nevertheless. You can almost see a pattern whereby he would be involved at some stage in the stadium. So could you? I can definitely see it myself. It, it, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If, if someone's got the, that connection in regards to the, the new stands, that uh, sorry, the new stadium that's coming up in the future, it, it's common sense, isn't it? I think it's what every Evertonian puts two and two together and they come up with four. What's your opinion on that one, Paul? Clearly, you can have commercial relationships with, with Everton, and you know, uh, Metal Invest, the, the company that uh, USM owns, is a big manufacturer of steel. Uh, I don't think they're a huge manufacturer of steel in terms of the steel that's required for stadiums, but you know, I'm, not right. really, I'm, I'm not really an expert on, um, on on stadiums and construction stuff, so um, probably put that to one side. But I don't think there would be a problem. I think the biggest opportunity for for Everton is in terms of uh, sponsorship and, and um, the, the branding of the stadium itself, so the actual naming rights. And if you know, if you look at how other stadiums have been uh, funded around the world, there's, there's clearly a, an, an opportunity for that. So, you know, how big is the stadium going to be? If the stadium is going to be sixty thousand, um, Dan Mice, very the architect, very kindly said on Twitter a while ago that you're talking around about six thousand euros. So let's say just less than six thousand pounds uh, per seat. So you can see that the stadium is a sixty thousand seat stadium is going to cost probably somewhere between three hundred and fifty and four hundred million pounds. Now, is it possible that a naming rights deal, say over twenty years, could contribute a hundred, hundred and fifty million pounds towards that? Um, I think that's very probable. I, I suspect that's the that's where the value in the relationship lies, rather than. Just being able to provide steel at a yeah. sort of, you know, slightly discounted price. Phil wrote a piece last week that led to an awful lot of discussion on the Echo website about Everton's uh, the potential capacity. Phil, tell us a little yeah. bit more about that piece, just for people who didn't see it. I'm just trying to answer the question, you know, what should the capacity of Everton Stadium be, and, and, and sort of debate and discuss the factors that were coming to Everton's thinking. Um, you know, understand that they've. You know, talked about fifty-five thousand upwards, but have yet to make a decision. But it, there were certain things we spoke about in the piece. Um, you know, the, the you know the fact that clubs are taking encouragement from the surge in season ticket sales that West Ham have experienced. The fact that there's now a waiting list, or and it's of informed registration of interest for extra season tickets. The fact that there'll be no obstructed views. Um, the general sort of appeal of a new stadium yeah. uh, and also the fact that the stadium as a facility would have to serve the city not just a football club uh, because it's obviously part of a wider regeneration scheme in that area and it also also I suppose it comes down to you know the scale of the ambition and whether Everton believe that with you know you know they lead the way in many respects in ticketing price and whether that would continue uh, and whether they would they would sort of prioritize filling a stadium of 60, 65,000 I don't know over maximising ticket sales to help pay for it rather you know keep it you know you've also got to think about things like retaining atmosphere I referenced this, the, the example of uh, Bill Bow where they capped their new ground where they know they could have put in more seats but they wanted to retain the atmosphere of the old San Mamez so many so many different factors that have to go into that thinking but I think there's a, a consensus and a feeling that somewhere in that 
55 to 60 bracket feels about right but obviously every modern stadium now has the capacity to expand um, it, it wouldn't be a sort of a huge construction job as Liverpool found it you know it would be a bit more sort of seamless a bit like City have done at the Etihad they went from 48 to 54 something you know the past couple of seasons so you know we were just trying to think out and talk about the process even though there's no definitive figure put on it as yet Paul, just yeah. one for yourself, mate. Do you think this is important that it's not just a football stadium that Everton are going to build? It, it could host concerts, everything else that goes away. Do you think it's important, that factor? I think it is, as long as it doesn't compromise um, the stadium as a, as a football stadium. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think that's, I think that should be, you know, the, and I'm sure that's going to be the case, that the primary um, function is as a football stadium. And, Bill, as you said, you, we want to retain... Uh, um, atmosphere and everything else so you know providing that we don't compromise any any of those qualities that we want to bring to the new stadium obviously the opportunity to use it other than 19 times a year in the Premier League and maybe a few few cup games and a few European games in future years um, is going to be important and, and obviously from a financial point of view it's important as well but uh, the big thing is, is not is not to lose the atmosphere one of the, one of the key things on, on the finances of the stadium is actually how much Rather than necessarily just the uh, uh, what the attendances are going to be in terms of what the capacity is going to be, is actually ha- how many uh, executive seats that they can sell. And I, I, I've done some work on this, which has um, been published previously, in terms of if they're looking at a sort of capacity of sixty thousand, and um, say five to six thousand executive seats can generate as much income as the other fifty-four, fifty-five thousand seats wow. in, the, in the stadium. So. It, the, the, the key uh, in terms of finances looking forward in terms of how to pay for it is actually how many executive seats they can sell and if, the, if they get this I'm sure they get the ratio right if they get the ratio right and they can sell it they can actually afford to um, sell the seats in the new stadium on the same basis that they're currently selling seats in Goodison so theoretically it's possible that um, Everton support is moving from Goodison to the new stadium won't necessarily see any increase in uh, in, t- in ticket prices, certainly season ticket prices. Mm, and that could, in turn, scale up the ambition in terms of the size of the stadium that they go for. You know, Farhad's an, an ambitious man, and he may, yep. you know, his vision is to make Everton into a Champions League football club. And he, he may say on that front then that actually sixty thousand isn't enough. I want to build a seventy thousand seat stadium, make a statement, be sort of you know the biggest club ground in the Premier League outside of Old Trafford, uh, and do it that way. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, he's, he's been very quiet on it, but then he's not—he's not a man who tends to say much anyway. So, uh, who, who, who knows what the actual final uh, capacity is going to be? What will be interesting is um, the role that Liverpool Council, um, obviously led by Mayor Joe Anderson, um, has in in the project as it begins to gather some pace. And we understand that that's already uh, is gathering pace. We're hopeful of an announcement. Um, kind of mid to early March, um, and you know we're all. I'm pretty sure as Evertonians, hopeful that that that, that is that the land has been acquired at the Bramley Moor, and that uh, we can hear some bit more concrete uh, planning around, you know, maybe a time scale uh, around what type of stadium it, indeed it will be. One suggestion has been that you know the Commonwealth Games and Liverpool's potential bid for that could be a factor in evidence thinking and indeed the council's support but I suppose straight away when I think of that I just think oh, please don't let it have don't let it have a running track mm. I, I don't really want to be watching Everton a stadium with a running track to put it simplistically Paul what do you make of that? No, I, I, I agree totally and I would be amazed if the Everton board agreed to build a stadium on the basis of a bid which they wouldn't know whether the team was going to uh, succeed or not yeah. before they actually put the planning application and, and, and started the process. So for me, if, if, if the Commonwealth Games bid was successful, the only way it could, it could be involved in the new stadium is if you can convert the stadium uh, in the same way that they converted Hamden for, um, for the Glasgow Commonwealth Games. Um, on a temporary basis, and then you know, after, yeah. after the, the end of the season, yeah. it goes, it, after the end of the Commonwealth Games, it goes back to uh, to the way that it was before. Now, if, if that's possible, and Dan Mice again has sort of suggested on Twitter and elsewhere that, um, you know, in theory at least, uh, it's possible to do that and not compromise atmosphere uh, and normal user experience as, as, as a football fan. 
if that's possible, then that seems like a, a sensible solution. But um, yeah, they're going to win the bit there. So I can understand why Joe Anderson is so keen every time the stadium is mentioned, <laughs> mentioning the Commonwealth bit, because obviously it, it helps his case. But um, I, I don't know if they're going to win the Commonwealth uh, Games bit. And from what I read elsewhere, it seems that, that Birmingham is probably uh, a more favoured option. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're right to say that that's very much something that is intangible and really it would make no sense if Everton were to base the, the planning for the stadium around a possibility. But um, it is encouraging to see, for, for me to see that that partnership, I know it sounds like a cliche and jargonistic sort of uh, top brass talk, but that partnership with the council, it actually seems to be in place. We, we only, if you fa- rewind to the previous general meeting before the last one, yeah. Um, when it, it ended in a little bit farcical circumstances whereby you had the mayor tweeting one thing to kind of rebuke the chief executive who was saying one thing on stage Walton Hall Park was, was probably in its dying throes and you know really we've come a long way since then and, and that partnership is a positive now that it's, it seems to be working isn't it? Uh, definitely and, and the whole relationship has changed because the council now realise we, we actually have an ability to um, build and pay for a stadium ourselves um, beforehand you know both both the city council and Everton were looking at each other <laughs> both knowing both knowing that neither could afford to do what they were hoping to do so you know it was to me it seemed, it seemed just like a load of noise with, with no real intent by either party to actually go forward with what they were proposing at the time you know in a sense it satisfied what the what the council has to say in terms of regeneration plans for, for, for North Liverpool and it probably satisfied some fans in terms of, you know, Everton still looking for um, a stadium solution. But the reality of the situation was before Mashiri came along um, that we were never ever going to get Walton Hall because we could never afford to pay for it. It did, yeah, it did seem to be that way. It was, um, it was just a long standoff for a while, wasn't it? Before they even kind of acknowledged that yeah. it, it wasn't going to happen, but. And that annual general meeting, as you say, uh, you know, that just brought everything to to, to a head. Mm-hmm. And you know, had Mashiri not come in in February last year, uh, I suspect that we'd probably still be in the same position um, now. The fact that he's there now and he's clearly come in and said, privately at least, these these are my plans and this is how I'm going to pay for uh, these things if they're achieved, um, has changed the relationship and. I don't blame Joe Anderson at all because he, he has to be pragmatic as a, as a politician. But the, inst- the the moment that that's happened, his opinion and his ability and his desire to do something with Everton has changed overnight. Yeah, you alluded then just as well to the fact that we are indeed approaching anniversary of Machiri arriving. It's it's flown by in many ways. It's been a whirlwind time. The, the, the pace of change has been uh, has been rapid, really, for for what Evertonians have been used to anyway. Um, Approaching that year, Mark, what have you made of it all? Did had you heard much of him before he appeared on on the on the scene in the first place? Or not not in terms of him being a potential Everton um, owner. I hadn't. I, I was completely uh, amazed by it. I think the announcement was on the on the Thursday evening, and then uh, either confirmed. I think it was, was it confirmed by you guys on on the Friday. I think it was announced um, Saturday lunchtime Saturday, the 27th. Saturday lunchtime when, when the club formally announced it, yeah. Uh, but no, I'd not, I not. I was sort of a, slightly aware of him because I, I know some people at Arsenal, um, but you know, he was very much in, in, in the background. Um, but in terms of what he's done to date and the manner in which he's done it, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's uh, We've gone from, and um, I, I make no apologies for using this term, we've gone from stagnation to being able to look forward in every sense, you know, on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, there's been a very quiet revolution in the, in the corridors of power at Goodison, and um, I, I can't believe that there's a single blue out there that's not happy with the way things are going. Lots of people want it to work quicker than it is, but in reality, we've moved a huge amount, and I don't think it really could have worked or could have happened any quicker than it has um, as we come up to the first anniversary. Yeah, I mean, he certainly seems to be someone who, whose ambition at, at the moment, we don't know. I suppose one thing is it would be nice to hear from him more often, wouldn't it? Because I was about to say his ambition knows no depths, but 
I guess we don't really know that because public uh, utterances from him are so few and far between. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's that one way that he could, uh, if he was so minded, because obviously he isn't obliged, it's a private company and he's uh, just about the majority shareholder, isn't he? But maybe could he talk to the fans more? Um, you may be surprised by this answer, actually. I'm quite, I'm quite happy that he just gets on with the business. Yeah. And, um, you know, he just, just does what he thinks is necessary to progress the book uh, going forward. And, you know, for years and years and years, uh, I'm not directing this at any individual in particular, but we've had, you know, promise after promise after promise, and we've had lots of words and very little action as blues. So if we have a period of a few words and lots of action, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I, I for one as a blues I'm not going to complain about that I don't think many would Paul how ambitious do you think Farhad Moshiri is, is would he be happy just settling for the top four space would he want a trophy does he want to go for the Premier League title how ambitious do you think he means means business at Everton Football Club I, I, I think any, anybody that's a self made billionaire only has uh, one objective in life and, that, and that's to be number one um, now He's got to be realistic, and I'm sure he's very realistic in terms of looking at the challenge ahead in terms of Everton on the pitch and off the pitch competing you know, with, the, with, with the top five or six clubs in the country. But that must, have, that must be his ambition. Prior to him joining Everton, very few people were aware of him. Everton is his most public investment that he's ever made, and you know it's there now and it's out there. Um, He's not going to want to settle for sort of you know an also run position. I think I think his ambitions are to get to the very top of the game. Um, Say so it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to do that, but he seems to be putting the bits in place that are necessary to do it, even on the basis that we don't quite have what not don't quite we don't have the finances of other clubs. Um, so I think he's focusing on. Uh, what other businesses might would do in, in the same situation. He's looking for very high quality people to come in and, and run the project. And again, you know, that's something that Everton have not been able to do for many, many years. Um, because frankly, we couldn't afford to pay top dollar. And you only get the best if you pay top dollar, um, both on and off the pitch. Um, I think Michelle has demonstrated in terms of, you know, how he went out and got crewmen, how he's uh, attracted uh, Walsh and how he's now started to attract people into the team. But when necessary, he's prepared to pay top dollar. Mm. Certainly, um, I would look at Farhad and, 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 and look at the brief times we've heard from him and go very much he's yeah. a realist. He's a businessman, so he understands that this, you know, the, the sort of in vogue phrase is project takes time, um, and he knows it won't happen overnight. But equally, I think what sort of encourages a lot of Evertonians is when they have heard him speak, he speaks all, also like a supporter. In the yeah. as a football fan, and, it, and that great phrase at the general meeting about you know we don't want to become a museum was the one that everybody took home, and the one that everybody's been clinging on to. Um, you know, he admits that he has a degree of excitement in that football fan of him, and he's you know he sits in front of the TV and says we want to sign this player, this player, this player. But I think he's, I think he's grown to understand the business quickly in the sort of the first. So in the sort of the second six months of the period, you know, particularly the two windows where he's become to realise that the, the the football business is probably like no other business he's ever dealt with, and particularly in the transfers because it's you know it's doggy dog, and you don't always get necessarily what you want, and and and, and this will take time. So he it's a twofold thing with Farhad. He spoke also about a window of opportunity, but he's also realistic. So. It kind of feels, in, and you know, time will tell, and, and and ultimately, as you said, actions will speak louder than words. But it feels as though he is coming at it from the best of both worlds in that respect, in that he, with his business head and real and a sense of realism, but equally with the enthusiasm and the, and the dreams of a fan. Well, just going back to the um, to the stadium again. How, yeah. What's your take on the Bramley Moor site itself, if that if that's included in it? Do I think it's going to be the Bramley Moor site? Your opinion, and, and possibly what what's your take on it as well? The you, whole site. Yeah, would you? I take it you'd want it there as well. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm 100% convinced that um, it's going to be a Bramley Moor. Um, I think I think things have happened, and, and perhaps things have happened in the last couple of weeks, which uh, we're not yet aware of, uh, or at least you know, the, the, the club have not made people uh, formally formally aware of. So, um, 
I would be totally amazed if it was not Bramley Moore. Um, and if it is, as I think it is, then you know that it's fantastic. It, it's a uh, a copy of a better site in terms of you know improve, improving our profile, improving our um, profile not only in the UK but around the world. And of course, also from a you know competitive point of view, um, I think it reminds the city of Liverpool that we are indeed the uh, senior club in, in the city. And I think for many, at most. Yeah, now obviously none of us here are particularly uh, architect expert, architectural expert or stadium design yeah. expert. But I just wonder if Everton were to announce it as we we hope uh, next month, and maybe let's say guessing look to put a spade in the ground at some point this year. I wonder when Everton could be playing a stadium. I was speaking to this with family and friends over the weekend, just guessing. Yeah. That I would certainly be surprised if it was before twenty twenty. Yeah, maybe that's yeah, a bit I, conservative. I don't know. No, I, I, I think you're right. I, um, in my own mind, I was thinking uh, season twenty 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 one. So they would start playing, you know, August twenty twenty at the very earliest. Do you think that's why Farhad has has gone to such great pains to make give Goodison a facelift, you know, spruce it up, just make the old lady look a bit bit more bright? Well, I think so. I think it, you know, clearly it improves the image of the club and. Um, I've got no evidence to, to, to back this claim up, but I suspect it's, we may find that we have a temporary naming rights deal at Goodison. Interesting. Right, so it would almost be a sort of toe in the pond of that for a few years, maybe a two, three-year period. Well, uh, it, 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 would be, it would be a way, I mean, thinking of, you know, from a business perspective, it would be a way of improving commercial revenues at the club. And one of the biggest difficulties Everton has moving forward is not affordability in terms of do we have cash to buy players etc etc it's um, can we afford or can we operate within the limits of uh, people say financial fair play they're the European regulations but in terms of uh, STCC regulations in the Premier League we need to improve our, com- our commercial revenues in order to uh, pay higher wages uh, in, in, in total so seems to me that you you spruce up the ground, you make the old lady look, um, you know, much more attractive to a potential uh, sponsor, and that sponsor may be one of um, Mishere Nuzmanov's companies, I don't know. Um, but why wouldn't you go for it if it's a sort of three, four um, yeah, deal, you know, if you, if you generate five, ten million pounds per year for doing it? Uh, I think I think... I think that's something that somebody might go for. You, you could, in theory, see a situation where, hypothetically, it becomes the megaphone Goodison Park for three to four years, and the option of, of that company having the exclusive first option to, and obviously a significantly increased price, become the naming partner of the new stadium, I suppose. You could see that as, as, a, as a potential avenue, couldn't you? It would be very unlikely that you'd have one, you know, if, if this happens, and again, I've got no evidence to suggest it will, but... It'd be very unhappy, very unlikely to have to be one company you know, putting naming rights against Goodison, and then that company not being yeah the, the company that puts naming rights on the new stadium. Yeah, I mean that's slowly and surely falling. Everton are getting more commercial partners, aren't they? They announced a deal with Shaw, um, Anti Persprint recently. You know they are beginning to tick off more, but I suppose the next big one is the shirt front sponsor. And you know Chang has been a, a long and loyal relationship, but yeah. in terms of of the reality of of the Premier League and, and and making as you say Everton generate enough money now to to avoid falling foul of financial fair play, they need a bit more bang for the buck, don't they? They need to go a step above what Chang are paying. But definitely, um, and, and you know this is going to be interesting how how this works out because uh, Robert Elston has already made the. Statement at the, at the general meeting that there's a 75 million pound deal for the next five years, which includes shared sponsorship yeah. and uh, the USM um, naming rights for, for Finch, Finch Farm. So, oh, you know, that 75 million over five years is 15 million a year. How much of that is uh, relates to uh, shared sponsorship? How much of that relates to Finch Farm? You know, you could argue that possibly 10 million relates to. Uh, shared, shared sponsorship and, and, and five to the naming rights. Even at ten million a year, we're, we're still a long, long way behind 
Sorry, Greg, you expect a deal in terms, certainly in terms of shirt sponsorship and obviously you in a forthcoming ground sponsorship to have, to be incentivised in the sense that Everton qualified for Europa League, right, you now give us an extra X amount per season you yeah. get into the Champions yeah. League, so on and so on. Yeah, you would hope so. You, I mean, you, you guess that it's not just going to be that what they pay up front, as you say, yeah. there'll be more incentives and they're going to have to agree to that. I think. The relationship with Chang probably suited Everton at the time when it, when it was started, and it has to an extent evolved over, over a period. But um, like you say, Paul, it's got to got to at least get close to clubs like Tottenham, who you know, to all intents and purposes, are our rivals. Really, realistically speaking, although you know they clearly had a head start in the uh, in in that sort of business sense, yeah, uh, and obviously being based in London as well is a huge is a huge boost. For and, and they have their own you know, new stadium coming up, and yeah. no doubt they're going to do exactly the same. What as what we're talking about in terms of Everton, in terms of naming rights deal for the new stadium. Yeah, so they're going to go on another level. They're you know, if you if you look at the list, they're, they're sixth currently in terms of turnover. They're about a hundred million behind uh, Liverpool. They're going to find themselves very close to Liverpool's level uh, within the next couple of years. You know, around um, 300, 350 million a year in terms of turnover. Have they, they also? Um, I might be wrong, but haven't they also sort of tentatively agreed a sort of link up with the NFL for when they come to London and to that to be a yep. stadium as well? So you know, Everton wouldn't necessarily be able to do that, but something in another line of sport, you know, whether it be rugby league or something like that, you'd think that Everton would be pushing to be. The go-to venue eventually. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, um, definitely. And I think also from a uh, you know UEFA point of view, Everton will want to have the stadium um, at the highest possible category, so that you know, who knows, in future years we we may be able to bid for you know Champions League finals. Um, that's if we're not in them ourselves, of course. <laughs> <laughs> there speaks a bloom <laughs> with uh, only Evertonian optimism running through his veins. There. What I'm interested in as well, which it, we don't speak about it a lot, but I, I think it's largely because, in truth, we just don't know at the moment. But I wonder what would become of the Goodison site when we've moved to the Banks Touchwood of the Royal Blue Mersey. Um, yeah. I, I don't see an appeal. Take, for example, Arsenal and Highbury. They're able to sell that land uh, and turn it into very high-end luxury apartments and and uh, so it was quite a lucrative deal. I don't see, um, with greatest respect, that that part of Walton is going to really uh, be an opportunity to, to do something like that. So I wonder, again, guessing, no evidence to this, whether or not this is where the council come in again, that Everton either say to the council or via Everton in the community, all right, you can, you can have this area, for a knockdown fee, this this part of um, L4, and develop camp, you know, whether it's a health centre, community football pitches, an extension of what Everton and community is already doing mm-hmm. on that site. But uh, it would be interesting. I, d- I wouldn't like to see a Tesco plonk there necessarily, and I don't think there's a business case for one that I can see really in my limited capacity. And I don't think, um, like I say, it's going to be used for for flats. What, what do you reckon, Paul? I would love to wake up one morning and see that you guys have announced, that the club have announced that they're handing um, the ground over to EITC and, they, and Everton and the community are going to uh, develop it for uh, social and community use. Uh, how much is the, is, the, is the land worth? The land is probably, from talking to other people, worth somewhere between, what, six and ten million pounds? In the grand scheme of things, you know, that's as ridiculous as it sounds. That's not a huge amount of money for yeah. uh, a modern-day Premier League club. So, um, if you think of the the upside in doing something like that, and again, I don't know whether they're going to do this, but in my mind, this would be fantastic, and it would be in keeping with how the club uh, looks at the community. If they if they could do something like that, that would you know that would be phenomenal. 
Yeah, it certainly would, wouldn't it? And what it would also do is it would maintain Everton's legacy in that area because last thing any blue would want is to see Everton move and, and Liverpool fill that vacuum and all of a sudden... I mean, the main stand already dominates the skyline, unfortunately, doesn't it? But I think what hurts of a match day when Liverpool are at home is that they, they let them park in the car park <laughs> when Liverpool are at home eventually, so you wouldn't want that either, would you? No, but you know, we've, we've been a, a very positive force in, in the L4 community, um, which is unusual for most football clubs. Most football clubs are not viewed as uh, positives in a local community. I just can't see us walking away and um, allowing all that positivity and all, all, all the benefits that we brought to the community just disappearing. It, it just doesn't seem to fit into the type of club that we are, from my perspective. I'm sure he may have completely different ideas because after all, it's going to be his money that would fund it. But um, it just seems to me that that's, that that's the way that we should go and possibly the way that we will go. Yeah, you mentioned as well Cumin before, and I know the point of this podcast is not really to be one talking about the uh, the Premier League and our, yeah. our fortune there to, as such. But since we've got you on, um, I trust from from speaking to you and from from reading your tweets that you're pleased with Cumin and the direction that he's taking the team. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I was I was delighted when he came. Um, I think he found it much more difficult when he when he arrived. Yeah, than, um, he thought, but then. I think everybody found that the transition over over the summer uh, much more difficult. Steve Walsh certainly did, um, but now you know now he's now he's been sort of in the job properly for what six seven months because I don't think he really started the job until some you know sort of the back end of the summer rather than the beginning of the summer <laughs> as we hoped. He had a few holidays um, to get through. <laughs> 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 yeah. like, I can just imagine his missus saying, "Like we booked these holidays." <laughs> And we're still going. Um, so, but no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted with them. You, you, you can see, you can see the progress in every respect. You know, um, the style of players starting to come through. Certainly, the fitness of the players, the uh, the atmosphere uh, amongst the players has improved enormously from you know uh, how, how we left the end of last season. So, um, I just hope that he stays longer than the three years he said he would give Mashiri because I think. If he does stay, um, he's going to achieve an, you know, an awful lot with us. Paul, just going back to what we speaking about Farhad Mashiri before with his anniversary yeah. this, this weekend, How, we've just spoke about briefly about the previous 12 months. What do you think is going to unfold in the next 12 months for Everton Football Club on and off the pitch? Okay. Clearly we're going to announce the stadium. We, we hope we're going to announce the stadium. Let's, let's assume, assume that we do. I think once we've announced the stadium, then all sorts of other questions are going to start being asked. You know, how exactly are you going to fund it? Um, what happens to the ownership of the club? Because at the moment, as we all know, he only owns 49.9%. Um, I think once the stadium is cleared and, what, and once we've got planning permission, uh, you know, which hopefully will be some point later, later this year, um, we will see him uh, use the options agreement that he's got to acquire the rest of uh, Bill Kenwright, John Woods, and Arthur, Crombie, uh, Arthur Abercrombie's um, shares, which will take him up to sort of 73, 74% of the club. Um, it, when that happens, I think we'll see some changes in the boardroom. Um, I think I think the, the boardroom is ripe for redevelopment. Uh, you know, we've made changes off the pitch in terms of uh, management and in terms of training. Uh, we're making changes uh, on the pitch in terms of personnel. Um, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if later this year we started making changes in the boardroom or bigger changes than we've already made um, but that will only come about when uh, Mashiri um, exercises his options and acquires the rest of the board shares So you did your best Nostradamus impersonation and you did it very well as well let's hope, let's hope, that, those, <laughs> <laughs> let's hope that those very positive changes do come to pass um, I suppose again, I'm, I'm going to contradict myself. So I didn't, didn't want to talk about football, but it's I suppose it's a little bit off the pitch in the sense that Romelu Lukaku has, has delighted us all with his goal return and largely his form in most in most points of this season so far. Yeah. Um, and I guess some people are wondering. Mina Raiola piped up about a month ago now, and so mm. just under a month ago, and said 99.9% done his new deal. That one percent, 0.1% has taken a bit of a while to get over the line. What do you read in that, Paul? Do you think that's just 
you know they're just trying to c- cross the T's and dot the I's and get the the financials right, or do you read anything else into that delay? Um, I, I, I would hope so. Uh, football contracts seem to have become far more complex in the last few years than they ever were previously. Um, you know, with naming with um, uh, image rights and stuff like this. But you know, it's not that the club can't can't do those contracts. Don't have the people that can do it. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a little bit sort of surprised that he hasn't, or he hasn't signed a, a, a new contract yet. I think the the value of a new contract is slightly, is slightly overplayed in many people's minds because what the new contract does is clearly it will give Lukaku more money and it will uh, protect uh, the club in terms of if Lukaku wanted to move at any point in the future, uh, we would get a better price for him. I don't think the contract itself means necessarily, but certainly with a player like Lukaku and with an agent like Raiola, that he's necessarily any more, his tenure isn't necessarily any more secure than the club. I think we will always, as for as long as Lukaku stays at the club, we will always have to satisfy him and his agent that we're progressing and moving forwards. Otherwise, so I, th- I think we're going to, you know, it's going to be like an annual thing. It's going to be every summer, or are, we, are we meeting their ambitions? Um, which, for, from my perspective, is actually a positive because we should be keeping Lukaku and, and, and attracting players of Lukaku's class. So, if they're putting pressure on us to uh, improve and you know, meet certain objectives each year, uh, as fans, we're beneficiaries of that. Yeah, I agree, Paul. In terms of this, the value of contracts, now I think the only real significant contracts are the ones handed out to players at the tail end of the career because then you know they're going to they're probably going to finish their playing days at Goodison or that will be the the club will end up getting the best or the final remaining years out of out of yep. those players. And equally, new contracts for young players, it's great. It's a show of ambition and it's a reward for their progress and a, and a sign and a, a, a declaration from the football club that they see them as part of the future. But ultimately, unfortunately, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything. And I've referred to uh, Ron on this podcast a couple of weeks ago as a striker for hire. And ultimately, he is. And we, we have to accept that, unfortunately. Yeah, every single club is in the same position with regards to their um, star players. It's not, it's not a question of Everton being unique in this respect. Mm. Every single club is in that position. And it's interesting if you if you look at the finances of each club, even those clubs that operate you know with, with, with huge profitability, they're all dependent to one extent or another on player trading. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at. Even even if you look at Manchester United and the amount of money that they've spent on players, if you look at the um, the profits that they've made over the years on player trading, it's very clear that that's very much part of you know their business plan. And I think it's going to become very much part of uh, Everton's sort of financial strategy moving forward. I think that's one of the reasons why we're investing so heavily in 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 youth and getting uh, the academy. I mean, the academy has been good for years. But, you know, moving the academy along as well because what it's going to produce is a, is a sort of a pipeline of players some of whom are going to be good enough to play for the first 11 but there's going to be a group of players also that not quite at that level who we can sell either to smaller Premier League clubs or we can sell into championship clubs etc etc and generate um, player trading profits because when we do that that assists us going back to the point we made earlier in terms of the uh, commercial revenues that the club has to earn well, Paul, thank you very much for your time. Um, thanks for speaking to us. We've, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, if you don't already, you can follow Paul at Viesk on Twitter. That's at all lowercase, T-H-E-E-S-K. You can check out his writings at Viesk, all one word, dot org. And um, hopefully uh, you'll agree to come back on when we've got the great news about the uh, next step with the Bramley Moore project and we can have another chat around about then mid-March. Yeah, I'd be delighted to, Gav. Thanks very much. Cheers, our pleasure. Speak to you soon. Okay, cheers, bye. All right, really interesting stuff there from the Ask, wasn't it? I think um, just before we wrap up for the week, uh, he did mention it as well there the youth and the way and, and the young players that are hopefully going to form either part of the first team or maybe um, you know make Everton some money in the future. Phil, you were at Goodson last night to see them progress to, if not quite the brink, certainly within such a distance of the league, uh, Premier League 2 title. Yeah, the Veg closer, they restored their six-point lead over Manchester City and it sets it up you know, tantalisingly for a week on Friday when they go to the Etihad campus to play City. Um, 
a victory there would leave them I think they only need I think a point or, or a win against Derby yeah. and that's like four games out or whatever it would be to lift the title um, the first 20 minutes last night and there's a lot of people in there it's great to see an official attendance of around five and a half thousand you know you took advantage of free entry for people who weren't there and I tried to get it across in my piece I can't kind of stress how impressive they were for 20 minutes now impressive in the sense that it was almost like they were a mini-me version of the first team Ronald is trying to produce. Right. And it's interesting that in the summer when I spoke to David Unsworth in a pre-season game, and I said to him about what had Ronald asked him and if he was sort of imprinting that style at, at that level, and Unzi was, was fairly candid and said, he'd asked, he'd, Ronald had sort of said, this is the way the first team are going to play, but Unzi was fully on board because he said, it's the way I want to play. Mm. So I think... I think there's been definite progression in the last three seasons under Unsworth. They survived in their penultimate fixture to beat West Ham to stay up. They did. Last season they finished third, but a distant third, but there's significant progression. But this season, almost I feel like he's been the coach has been given more licence to play in a way that he wants to play. And we're seeing that bearing fruit. And uh, he was being hypercritical and a bit of a perfectionist. Uh, Unzi was slightly disappointed that it took him until nine minutes from time to get the second goal, and it, sh- it should have been more comfortable on the scoreline. But you know, people say, "Oh, a team dominated the game." Everton dominated Southampton. Now, Southampton sort of mid-table in in the Premier League two uh, division, but a strong, historically strong academy. Mm-hmm. I don't think Matisse Hill had a safe to make. He he could have been one of the five and a half thousand in the stands, and I don't mean that disrespectfully to yeah. Southampton. I just thought that was the control that Everton played with last night. Um, I thought the previous week when they they dug it out and beat Arsenal was a sign of champions elect. Last night was was far more comfortable, but equally as impressive. Um, and look, it's a great game a week on Friday. Um, and you know, if there's if there's any chance of getting across there, I would urge you to because it's it's potentially a title decider. See what's even more impressive about the under 23s is the fact that. There's quite a lot of players gone on loan. There's a couple injured, mm-hmm. and a few in the first team as well. Mm-hmm. And, and they're still loan. pulling up trees. Yeah, yeah, you say a lot went on loan. I, th- I think that's 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 a, and Rob this in my piece. That's a, you know that's the fact that he's David's inherited the talented squad. The fact that players have come through, youngsters like Benny Beningame, Nathan Broadhead have, have, have emerged from the 18s a bit more this season. Um, you know, so he has he's been fortunate. He's been able to bolster his squad with signings. We speak about Calvert Lewin, but equally, as you say, some of them have gone. Arguably, one of his two best central midfielders, Tom Davis, has gone to the first team. Joe Williams has been is so unfortunate with injury. He, he started last night. It's almost like he's had to start to juggle all of this, rejig, start again, accept that players will be moved on. Plenty have gone out on loan. Holgate to make the step up yeah, as well. Okay. And even, I know we all, we all laugh about him, but Nias was in there for large chunks well, of this. This is the thing, Nias had become an important player for that team. He'd really yeah. be scoring fairly, fairly regularly at one point. And so, despite all of this, Bunzi mm. has kept them going. And I, fear, I sort of feared, if you like, so I was a little bit concerned coming in towards the end of January that they were a touch light up front. But Bunzi said to me, No, don't worry, we've got players coming through. Courtney Duffus is, 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 is back where we want him, and we'll be fine. And so it's proven and hopefully they can do the business next week Kieran Dowell scored Phil he's a player obviously we saw initially burst onto the scene with Tom Davis last season when Unzi and Joe Royal gave gave them the full debuts um, obviously his progress hasn't quite had the stellar take off that Tom has this, this time around but is he one that you can see will he kind of hopefully help the 23s win the league and then get another crack at first team action towards the end of the season or, or will it be maybe a slow burn and we'll see more of him mm. next season I don't know I think I think circumstances has sort of um, not held Kieran back but perhaps stunted his, his level of progression especially in, in comparison to Tom Tom ticks many more of the boxes that Ronald's looking for I think at this stage the conundrum for, for, for Kieran and the club is He's growing, he's developing, you know, Unzi has said that to us, you know, he's, and he admitted the lad himself that his form early in the season wasn't to scratch, but he was coming back in. And I think he's been playing very well recently. He looks to me like a player who, could, who would um, benefit a lot from, from a loan spell in the Football League. But the problem is, and 
in, in fairness to Roberto Martinez, he spoke to me about this as well. That's a difficult scenario, it's a difficult situation for Kieran because when clubs are looking to Premier League sides for take young players on loan, they're probably struggling. There's, there's a good chance mm. the sides are struggling and they're looking for an injection of something. Mm. Now, can you name me a football club that might be fighting for survival in the Championship who is willing to give Kieran Dowell, who is a playmaker, graceful, good on the ball, makes things happen? Who is going to give him that opportunity? Um, five minutes from the end of the game, you're losing one nil, and you need you need a goal on a bog of a pitch. Maybe who's gonna? Which manager is going to be instructing his players? Give Kieran the ball. This is where Joe Royal comes into it as needs. Well, yeah, and, 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 the, and the club, the club will be aware. And you know, it was a problem, as I said. Roberto uh, was agonising over it. He didn't know what to do, and it's. Maybe they maybe they feel that that under twenty three football has become a little bit more competitive. It, it it doesn't feel as sterile as it used to to me. I think it's got better. Um, it's whether or not they can feel that he's actually they can they can sort of make help Kieran make that step up by having him train him the first team every day. Maybe that's the way they're going to have to do it rather than sending him on loan. Just briefly, Phil, do you think because of the emergence of Tom Davis and Allgate, they came from the under twenty he's now on the first team? A lot of the players now will look at that as an inspiration. Oh, the under yeah. twenty teams and go, you know what? If I have a couple of good games here, there's a chance of me getting in the first team. Yeah, I spoke to quite a few of them as recently. Um, John Joe early in the season, Charles Lee recently, and they've all said the same thing. Yeah, they've all been, you know, paraphrasing. Well, if they can, why not? Why not me? Um, it's good, you know. Competition beats competition, and um, it's healthy. It's really healthy. We just spoke with the S there off the pitch. Now. On it, under 23 is flying. The future is very, very bright, isn't it, Greg? It is very bright, and um, I think that we've a nice upbeat note upon which to end today's podcast. We'll be back later on in the week. We know we've been a little bit uh, stingy with the parts of the last fortnight during the, uh, the enforced break, but we're going to try and get it back up to twice a week. Um, Gav, of course, will be back with us to preview the return of David Moyes and Sunderland. Thank you very much again to the ESC for taking part today, and thanks to you for listening.